because often I, I find I'm almost, I've said, hi, how are you doing? And if I'm not careful, I'm almost moving away as they're responding to me. Um, but, but, but as men, you know, it, it really is good to talk. I know it's a corny phrase for lots of different reasons, but it is. It is. Um, we need to pray for each other. We need to encourage each other. Um, there's a billion and one other voices out there that are going to speak to us and demand our attention, as we'll see bits of in a moment. Um, keep keep encouraging each other and 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 you know especially living for Jesus and, and sharing your faith why, why not this Sunday why not you know why not just go up to one of the guys and just say hey look when when when, when was the last time you had an opportunity to to speak for Jesus uh, and and even if your last opportunity was like mine at the physios about the one uh, a few days before that, the hairdressers, where I seen great opportunity with the guy, could finally get him off talking from his beloved Arsenal to more weightier matters. But um, but I'm not so keen maybe on telling the other side of things. But but telling disasters is good as well. I was at the hospital having a physio appointment. Um, the physio asked me something, and it really gave me a great opportunity to, and I absolutely blew it. And I was like, oh, for the rest of the appointment, I was trying to get back in and I couldn't. And then as I was going home, I was like, oh, why, Lord, why did I say that? But we've got to encourage each other, haven't we? And even, even when we fail with these opportunities, um, yeah, let's make sure we're, we're helping one another. We're praying for each other. Um, yeah, the verse, like I shared earlier on from, from 1 Timothy 2, you know, God wants men everywhere. Um, to be praying right we're in chapter three let me just pray quickly lord please be with us thank you for the great food um thank you for friendship thank you for being able to stop to get away in the middle of the week busy times and just be with other guys help us to value friendship help us to see it not as an add-on Help us to see this whole evening as the time that we had pizza and pudding together and chatted as important. It really is. Um, may, please, Lord God, you bless the conversations um, for years to come of the men here at Crowborough. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, we're jumping from chapter 1 to chapter 2 because I don't want us to focus completely on Daniel. Um, I was here a few months ago and uh, we looked at so I want to look at these three other characters. Um, we looked at this earlier in the year as a church and just found it so helpful. But just if you didn't know, chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has this crazy dream. He decides he wants the interpretation because he's tormented by it. Um, he isn't going to tell everyone, though, what the dream is. They've not only got to tell him what his dream was that he had in his crazy head, they've got to give him the interpretation. Long story short, Daniel, through God's help, uh, saves the day, talks about all these different kingdoms that are going to come and go. Um, only God's kingdom ultimately will reign and so on. And at the end of it, whoa, Nebuchadnezzar, it's fantastic. Your God is the God of gods, he says. And it's wonderful. And so chapter three, we launch in and um, this is his baptism service. He's just about to give his testimony. Um, oh no, 
No, sorry, sorry. Chapter 3 begins, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 60 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylonia. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates. The author's doing this, by the way, to basically make fun and show how ridiculous all this was, because it's repeated again and again. And all the other officials to come to the dedication of the image he'd set up. So, and then you get the list of them all again. Um, they assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe and all kinds of music, you must all bow down and worship the image of the gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever doesn't, fall down and worship, will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, and then as soon as you hear, and so on and so on and so on. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty's issued a decree that everyone who hears, again, again, it's repeated, you must bow down and so on. But there are some Jews whom you've set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who pay no attention to you. Your majesty, they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true? Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, that you don't serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up. Now when you hear the sound of, and so on and so on and so on again, I want you to worship or you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, we'll not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. Nebuchadnezzar was furious. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men were wearing their robes, trousers, turbans and other very flammable materials and were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. And King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet and, in amazement, asked his advisers, weren't there three men tied up that we threw into the fire? Yes, yeah, certainly, your majesty, they replied. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. 
So they came out, and the satraps and prefects, governors, royal advisers crowded round them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel to rescue his servants. They trusted in him. And defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I declare that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other god can save in this way. And the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Who's the one in your house who says, okay, who's turned the heat up? I mean, hopefully you haven't. T- Has anyone turned the heating on yet so far? Oh, guys, come on. It's not October, you know, that the, the school rule doesn't go on till the 1st of October. That's what I keep saying to Jane. She keeps saying, I left school 40-odd years ago. Anyway, um, that's me. I'm always, uh, and, and this year we've got, you know, loads of, of reasons because the fuel prices, haven't we? But do you know what we say in our house? It's incredibly simple. You know, if you're cold, just have a look at the next slide. Just put a jumper on or something, you know. Dress up. I'll go to Jane and I'll say, that that is a summer cardigan, right? Look how thin that is. Do you want to wear one of my hoodies, I'll say. But whether we like it or not, the spiritual climate is really hotting up for us as Bible-believing followers of Jesus. And so for us, it's more like we need to suit up and put on the armour of God every day. There's definitely a spiritual climate change against the views that we hold. And as it got hotter in Babylon for Daniel and his friends, it's getting hotter for you guys here in Crowborough us up in southeast London, it's getting hotter every day. Might be a bit of a difficult question, but have, have any of you seen in, in recent days, months, last couple of years, things maybe where you are, where you work, it, it's, it's got more of a challenge, more difficult? Maybe it's getting easier in Crowborough. I mean, the, the secular tide just keeps getting pushed, doesn't it, constantly? You know, the message. I don't know about, you know, a whole load of our guys. They just, you know, some they're just so sick and tired, some of them, of all these diversity meetings that are going on, and they have to sit through the training. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's coming, isn't it? But a big question for us all when the heat is on when our backs are against the wall as christians who will you worship and that's that's the question just for this second session when the challenge is on you know when your mates at school or at college uh, are maybe talking about god or the but hey don't you go to church or oh yeah you're you're are you religious are you, do you what are you going to do 
Who are you going to worship? If we see the next slide, please. And that moment's arrived for Daniel and his friends. That moment has arrived for us living in the UK today. Because a thousand voices are demanding our worship, our time, our attention, our allegiance, our hearts. And how we respond will tell so much about us. I think it was probably the time that I understood when I was 15, 16, 17 of whether I'd become a Christian or not. Because I, I, I think maybe I was by about then, by about sort of 15. But, oh, wow, I, I just found it impossible to share my faith. Just, uh, but, but then later on, maybe when I was sort of 16, more 17, I suppose. But even then, I'd get so tongue-tied and... Um, I remember one girl that I used to know, she was a couple of years older. She went off to uni and she came back and she'd become a Christian. It was like, oh, wow, fantastic. And I was, I'd heard about it and she came along to church. She'd never been to church before. And I was like, wow. And the first thing I wanted to ask, and she just said to me, why didn't you ever tell me about Jesus? Oh, boy. Wow. And, and then I realized I, I needed to make a stand. So it was probably around the age of sort of 18 that I was like, right. And I'd ask some of my mates to pray for me and help me because I knew there were some opportunities. There was a field trip coming up and I knew there was going to be loads of time to, you know, chat with some of my mates. And, and, and I, I was, it was probably terrible. It was probably hopeless. But I, I made a few stumbling efforts because I'd made that decision. God was going to get my worship. And it's important that we remember that the book of Daniel, it's not written for our discouragement, like I said earlier. It's written for our comfort and encouragement. It's written to remind us that despite it being tough in the world, our God's for us, not against us. And our God is even within us. And he goes before us. He's in control. But our first big point you see on the, your outline there is the whole issue of idolatry in these first 15 verses. Because this was the massive issue that was going on. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar chapter 2, he'd had this dream and interpretation. And from his own lips, like we said, he says in verse 47 of chapter 2, Surely your God's the God of gods and the Lord of kings. So we find Nebuchadnezzar now suffering from amnesia. Because he's forgotten his dream, he's forgotten his history. And he decides, hey, do you know what would be really great? Let's have a 90-foot statue of me, high and nine foot wide. It was put on the plain of Jura, a nice big flat place. There was no other skyscrapers around then. So it was going to stand out. And, and it was to stand out, especially to be menacing and threatening to everyone. This decree was made about when the royal band plays, everyone, without exception, get down and worship or into the fiery furnace. And the writer, like I was saying as I was reading it, he wants us to see what a whole fast this is. And, and, you know, the, the emptiness, ridiculousness of this idol. And yet we are intimidated to worship also things that are ridiculous and nonsense. In 1936, Hitler was trying to drum up allegiances all around Europe and he found in Italy Mussolini, a, a, a great, um, you know, 
someone who would be an ally, but the Italian people far, far less so. And the true story goes that Hitler was absolutely dismayed on discovering on a trip to Florence and a big speech that he gave, the supposed cheers from the crowds were actually amplified music being played through a window from an Italian film. But such is the madness and the nonsense of the world. But we're tempted, aren't we, on a daily basis to worship what everyone else is worshipping. And you've probably heard the phrase before that, you know, there's nothing wrong with having good things. God is the giver of all good things, isn't he? The problem is when we make good things into God-like things. What are maybe some of the good things that if we're not careful, we can make them into God-like things? Sport, yeah. Sport's great. It's really good for us, isn't it? Um, I'm not so sure about sitting down in an armchair, which is most of my sport. But no, it is, it is. I mean, it's great. Get together with a number of non-Christian friends and, and watch footy. It, it's, it's, it's a great thing. But, oh, boy, I can easily... Oh, actually, mm, I'd, I'd, I'd love to come to church, but... And, it, you know, it can take over, it can dominate. And the way we get so, I don't know, caught up with it. And anything else? Work? Family, work, family, two, two probably the biggest things. I mean, family, wow, what, what a gift. You can't, surely, surely there's, you can never have any problem with, with, with family. Yeah, you can. You can make them a godlike thing that they are the be all and end all. We, we, we had a huge issue when we, when we first moved to London. We had quite, because we're, we're right on the Bexley border, we're in Greenwich. And Bexley, oh, Bexley do the 11 plus still grammar systems and there was with with, with some families uh, there was this obsession of we have got to move heaven and earth to try and move house to get into Bexley they'd scrimp and save and it was more expensive and then they get tutors for their kids and oh wow what what sorry where's so and so and you, you know the missing from kids work kids club youth group oh no no they got homework and got to get them through the 11 plus and Oh, you're, you're moving. All oh, right, you used to live right next to church. Yeah, we're moving miles away now because we want to be in. And it's like making things like education for your kids. You can make it like a godlike thing. Um, work. Works, works a gift. Some of you are thinking, what? Work is good, works a gift. Yeah, it is. Um, believe it or not. But wow, we can make work an idol, can't we? Um, it's so, so all too easily. And then verse 12, notice that the animosity that, that comes towards our three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, can't what, sorry? Yeah, oh yeah. I, my, my neighbor opposite, he always gives me grief about how dirty my car is. So I've gone, I've gone this time, I've gone and got a black car. So it doesn't look as bad when it's dirty. But he is, I saw him this morning, seven o'clock when I went out to walk the dog. There he was again. I mean, it used to be a huge, big estate. It's just a tiny little card now. He's washed it so many times, it shrunk. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it is just ridiculous. But he, it is his pride and joy. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Good shout. 
Um, and they singled out these, the, these Jews. P- people will single us out. I mean, it's, it's not fair, is it? What? Single us out? I mean, we are, aren't, we the, aren't we the bedrock of society? I mean, that's great about Britain, built on, on Christian heritage. Well, we might think that, but plenty in the world don't. What does Peter say in his letter, first letter? Friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials. I'm always shocked how Christians will still come and chat with me and say, I can't believe it. There was something going on at work. It was really godless. And and I stood up and I just shared something really politely. And they shouted me down. It was just unbelievable. I mean, uh, why, why do we get surprised? So these three friends, they were accused before the king, uh, not surprisingly angry. He gives them one last though. Um, but hilariously, he, he has this, you know, he comes out with this, verse 15. But if you do not worship, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? I mean, we'll see at the end, he answers his own question in, in the last few verses, um, especially 28, 29. But look at the response of the men. Such integrity. I mean, it's staggering. In the face of such hostility and impending danger and hideous death. This is how they respond. Verse 16. It's worth reading again. King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he'll deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know your majesty. They will not serve your gods or worship the gold you've set up. And that's incredible, isn't it? Now, Nebuchadnezzar was not to be messed with. Because maybe everyone was thinking, oh yeah, he keeps saying he's going to do this big fiery furnace. I mean, Jeremiah 29 verse 22 tells us he's got previous here. I mean, two of the Jewish exiles, Ahab and Zedekiah, King Nebuchadnezzar, it says, we read there, that he's burnt them to death in the fire. So he's used bonfires before for executions. He's got previous. But the question again for you and I, who will we worship? What would we have done? I mean, maybe, I don't know, can, can you think of, of, of some some of the ways you might have been able to justify it if you'd have been there. You know, so, whoa, everyone goes down. And, you know, everyone's standing around and better go down as well. And if you think of some of the reasons that you might have helped justify it. Yes, oh yes, just the old shoelaces. Yeah, yeah. I remember I remember always pretending I had something in my eye when I when I said grace, you know, when I was first a Christian at lunchtime, you know, amongst my mates. Oh, are you all right? And at the time someone said, Are you okay? Have you got something in your eye? Um, yeah, very, very weird. Yeah, that was me. And any any other things? This is the position we're in, boys. Hey, listen. I mean, God's obviously put us here for a purpose, not just to be thrown into a bonfire. So come on, come on. God God will understand. Let's get down. Yeah? 
Any other reasons? We won't do it again. But let's, let, let, let's just this once. Yeah. Hey, look how far we are from home. I mean, when in, when in Rome, I mean, when in Babylon, you know, act as the Babylonians. Or, do you know what? It's nonsense, that statue. So I'm, but I, I'm going to bow down, but I'm really worshipping God in my heart. But they didn't, did they? They stood firm. But we can justify it. Especially things like this, we say, just the once. It's not going to harm anyone. It's not going to hurt. Just, just this time. No one's looking. Let's have a look at the next slide, thanks. But for them, it was so simple. Oh, sorry, yeah. There it is. Um, forgot to um, move on. Let's have a look at the next slide. Um, the next thing for them was, oh, we're miles behind. Yeah, I've missed them all out. Let's have a look at the next one. Yeah, there we go. Hey. I mean, it was just trust and obey. You know, this, this, this is God's first commandment. And the second commandment that they would be breaking. It, it, it wasn't an issue. It wasn't, oh, should we get together? Should we have a prayer meeting about? Let's have a think. Oh, yeah. Um, what, what do you think? No, no, no. We're not doing it. We're not worshipping your dumb idol. You know, to see things with the clarity that they have. I believe it, that settles it. And I love, you know, look, even if God doesn't rescue us, it doesn't matter. We're not doing it. You see, they worship the only true and living God. And if we claim to be disciples of Jesus Christ, which we are, obedience must mark us out so clearly. Thirdly, uh, sovereignty. Sometimes I like to imagine things going a little bit differently in the Bible. I mean, imagine Nebuchadnezzar on hearing their defense, replying like this. Hey, listen, fellas, you know, just what you've shared, it's, it's, actually, it's actually brought a tear to my eye. I mean, it's so refreshing today that people can actually think for themselves, have strong convictions and be, you know, to go against the flow. What you said really makes sense. And actually, it's reminding me of my shortcomings. Because, of course, duh, what was I thinking? Back in chapter 2, yeah, the dream, the interpretation. But no, there's not a word of that, is there? Not a word of that. But like I was sharing earlier, I think sometimes we can be tempted to think, look, if, if I make a stand on this issue, it's really going to go well for me with my mates. Or with my family who aren't Christians who don't understand or at work. Why, why do you think sometimes that we think it's going to go well with us when we make a stand and we, you know, go against what's being said? Why do you think as Christians? You know, we think, right, I'm going to make a big stand against this big, you know, issue at work. They're having someone in to speak on these gender issues and diversity and how there's got to be complete respect. And we've got to start using different terms and so on. I'm going to make a big stand on it. But it's going to go well for me. 
I think as Christians, we can fall into that at times because we think, well, you know, God's going to honor that, isn't he? He may well. And you may, wow, right, okay, well, we hadn't considered that view. Yeah, that's, that may happen. But then you, it may go terribly. Listen, come here. You know, the boss has a word. You know, you need to to just just rein it in. Those views, those opinions are not welcome here. And let me just tell you, it's, it's, it's not going to go well for you if you carry on. <laughs> Excellent. We've got the right chapter. Fantastic. <laughs> but God's always sovereign. No matter what the response is at work. Whatever the response is, you know, that these guys were saying, but listen, we're, we, we believe that our God could save us, but even if he doesn't, they've, they've, made, they've drawn their line in the sand as well. So here, verse 19, the king's full of rage. He orders that they're thrown in. Um, even some of the guards were consumed. Um, tied up as this big show of force and rage. Verse 24. King Nebuchadnezzar, he thinks he's seeing things. He's looking into the furnace. Sorry, what? One, two. Ooh, wow, he's amazing. He can count. Uh, four. Hang on, hang on. Sorry, sorry. Let me. I just, I just thought I saw four. One, two, three, four. We see the next slide. Thanks. It's the fourth man. Can I just tell you, this is not the main point of Daniel chapter three. Is it an angel? Is it Jesus? We can't be dogmatic and say, I personally think it's Jesus, but many people think it's an angel of the Lord and so on. What we know is, and this is the important thing, whoever the fourth man was, God sent the fourth man to be with them in the fire. And that's such a great promise for us tomorrow. You know, wherever we are, you know, we're at school with our mates or we're at work and stuff's kicking off and it's not great it's not helpful and we feel a bit oh what do I do what do I say how do I respond God is with us wherever we go and it's interesting though God he didn't save them from the furnace I often think that about the disciples you know when they go out onto the lake he didn't save them from the storm but he was with them in the storm you see God didn't save them from the furnace but he found them in the furnace and he remained with them God's not always going to shield us from dangers that we go through. But he is always going to be with us. Even for Latimer and Ridley, two amazing reformers who were burnt at the stake by Queen Mary for simply not conforming and carrying on to say they wanted to love Jesus and proclaim his truths. So there in Oxford in 1555, No last-minute intervention saved them, but the fourth man stood with them as they were burnt horrifically to death. And Latimer, the older one, he he said to Ridley, when when, when he could see him trembling, really being filled with fear and horror, and and we can't blame him, can we, as it was all the fire was set alight, the stake that they were tied to. And he said this, play the man, Ridley, by God's grace, we will light this day in England a candle that will never be put out. 
And, and so did begin this incredible reformation. But they weren't saved. The three men in the fiery furnace were. The Latimer and Ridley weren't. They were burnt to death. But ultimately, of course, they were saved. Because the most extraordinary of miracles is not these three men being rescued from the fire. That's, I, I don't think that's the most extraordinary thing in this chapter. The most extraordinary miracle in this chapter is that those three men said no. We're not bowing down. In the face of all that opposition and all that threat. And that's to give us great heart. That's to encourage us. You know there are hundreds, thousands and millions men and women, boys and girls, young people across the world and they're standing firm and they have stood firm throughout history and God has been with them and God has helped them and God has got them through situations. Because of course there's so much worse that could happen to us than even being thrown into a fiery furnace. And that's to stand before the judgment of God and be cast from his presence forever into eternal hell because we've turned our back on him. Because when we had the opportunity to stand as a believer that we thought we were, we decided not to. We capitulated and every opportunity we had. Sometimes we even came on a Sunday and we played the fact that we were all super spiritual. And yet outside, every time there was an opportunity to stand, we were ashamed and we hid and nobody knew. And in fact, we didn't trust in his offer of salvation. And so we would be condemned. And let's make sure that it's never an accusation that can be laid at our door. Last slide, please. Oh, sorry, the next one. Yeah. Because Jesus took the fire of hell for us on the cross. All of God's judgment and fury towards our sin was placed on Jesus. Incredibly, wonderfully, undeservedly. He took our place, he took our shame, he took our punishment. So, so if God has already delivered us from the greatest of death, the, the, the judgment and the punishment of God, because our trust is in him and we've asked for forgiveness of sin, we, we can certainly trust him for, our, for whatever is thrown at us. Look at this U-turn of King Nebuchadnezzar just to finish. Firstly, he calls them, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, servants of the Most High. And you notice nothing is singed, smells are burning. I mean, it's incredible. We, we had a, a barbecue on, on Sunday at this church in Leicester. And I went out at one point because my mate was, was in charge of the barbecue. And I came back in and it was absolutely stinking. You, you've been there, you know, bonfire night if you get close to it. I remember being on beach mission once and um, I was just... I was trying to do breakfast with one of the girls and we were trying to put the bacon in the oven. It was the first day and we didn't know how to get it on. And she was like sticking her head in the oven and I was like, oh, it's okay, I found it. Her eyebrows completely disappeared and all the fringe of her hair was just burnt just from standing quite away from the flames. They're completely protected. This is amazing. And then look at the king's proclamation. Incredibly, the chapter ends again like chapter 1 with God in control. Nebuchadnezzar, instead of exalting himself, is exalting God. 
He proclaims how great the sovereign God is. That no other God can save in this way. Back to verse 15. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Well, he answers it himself. Oh yeah, your God will save you. Because your God is the only true God. So tomorrow, the rest of the week, when all these different situations come our way, these decisions that we have to make, opportunities that we're in, are are we going to stand firm? And are we going to worship King Jesus? Because at the end of the day, that, that is the issue in this, in this culture that we live in that wants us to compromise our faith, that wants us to capitulate. The issue is whether King Jesus get our worship or not. And, and it's all down to, do we really know him? Do we understand what he's done for us? Because surely when we do, however at times we'll fail and we'll mess up, he ultimately is going to get our allegiance. He is going to get our worship. Because of course he alone, he alone is worth it. Hey look, if the Archbishop of Canterbury can even go back to John 14 verse 6 that was read at the Queen's funeral and tell everyone again, That Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man come to the Father but by me. Then surely a bunch of guys in a sound, rock solid, evangelical, Bible believing church like Crowbeck can. Let's believe that he is the only way. But let's live that out when the challenges come daily. Amen. Let me pray. Or John, sorry, do you want to come and close in prayer? Yeah, let's pray. Oh, please, Lord God, would you help us? We've got a vicious foe, the enemy. He hates it when we take a stand. He hates it when we worship you rather than the things of this world. Oh, please open our eyes to see them for what they are. They're worthless, dumb, dead idols like this statue that Nebuchadnezzar stuck up. And help us instead to see you in all your glory and all your greatness. Oh, and may you have our hearts worship. But help us. And help us to encourage one another. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.